Able. Let's pray and ask the Lord to touch us here today. He's able to meet every need in a single service. He can reach every one of us where we're at. Let's speak and call on that name of Jesus. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus, I pray right now that you would do a mighty work, a sovereign work, that you would do miracles here today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, according to your riches and glory, God. We ask that you would pour out the wonderful gifts of your spirit, that you would do what only you can do, that you would grant salvation to your people, Lord. In Jesus' name, we call on you right now. Some are in their trouble, some are in sorrow. Some have special needs here, but I know that you're able. I pray for your anointing touch. I ask you, Lord, to build up our most holy faith here today. We pray it, Lord. We pray in the Spirit. We pray in your name. I ask that your church would be edified. Let your will be done here as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to preach today. My, my plan is to preach a two-part message. But not both this morning. The second part I plan to preach tonight. Um, and so I'm not really sure exactly how this morning is going to go. I don't know if we'll have an altar service. We might. Now get ready. You might feel like shouting or you may feel like crying. I don't really know. Uh, but this morning's service is leading to this evening. So if at all possible, I want you right now to start making plans to be here tonight. Oh, uh, you don't want to get, you ever got in the middle of a book or uh, a movie or something and then you don't know how it ends? Yeah. Well, you need to be here tonight to hear the end of it. So make every effort. But today, um, a few years ago, I would have tried to get it all in this morning. But... But some of you are a little older, and I am too. We don't have the same stamina we had back then. And so uh, we're, I'm going to try to, to lay a foundation today. And um, a friend of mine uh, wrote a little article, and he was quoting from the scripture when Paul talked about being spent for the Lord. And he made the analogy between that and the Lord spending people and how we spend money. And he went a different direction than I'm going today, or at least I assume. I just kind of browsed through it, what he had to say. But it got the wheels in my mind turning. And uh, I really felt uh, confirmation that to teach this today. And so just kind of a spark off my buddy's little thought. And I probably need to go back and read it. He, he might have really put a masterpiece together. Maybe I should have preached whatever he was talking about, but I just saw kind of his opening scripture and, and a sentence or two, and, and then, boy, it got me just thinking and considering, and, uh, and the more I, I fleshed this out in my mind, it was a, a different way of looking at scriptural truths. It wasn't that it was something I had never heard before, but just looking at it a different way. And I, I, so I went this way, and then I went that way. And, and so <laughs> this morning, we're going to go this way, and then tonight, we're going to go that way. And then maybe you can put it all together when we're done. Tonight should build on today's. My title this morning is God's Economy. And it's going to be um, an analogy, maybe somewhat of a parable, but an analogy uh, or an illustration that I hope will resonate with us today. And I'm going to touch some very big topics, and certainly I won't be able to explain them all today, um, not in depth anyway, but uh, this message will in some way address a couple of the biggest questions that people struggle with. First, why doesn't God who loves save everybody? You ever thought about that? Why doesn't God save everybody? And then secondly, which is another struggle. Some people say, well, if, if God's going to judge, then how can I serve a God like that? I don't understand why everyone isn't saved. And then other people, uh, they, they don't think God's too strict. They think he's too gracious. They say, why would God save someone like me? And those, to me, are the two biggest hindrances that people have in trusting the Lord. Why, why should I have to fear the judgment? Why doesn't God save everybody? 
Or why would God save someone like me? If he really knows everything I ever did, if he knows every mistake I ever made, if he knows every thought and intention of my heart, then why would he even want me? And, and so those are two questions we have to resolve. And like I said, they're big questions. I can't answer them entirely today, but our message will touch on both of them. My title, I can't remember if I told you, my title is God's Economy. Um, the economy is in the news a lot today, uh, and it's not good news, right? Uh, the economy is not looking real good right now in, in our world and in our country. Um, the economy, we, we use it a lot. We use the term a lot, especially when things aren't going well. Um, to define it, the economy is... Um, the management of the resources of a community or a country. And this is the dictionary definition, especially in view of its productivity. Um, if something is economic, it pertaining to production, distribution, the use of income, of wealth, of commodities, uh, relating to the science of economics, uh, pertaining to an economy or system of organization or operation, especially to the process of production. Now, I know that's boring. Um, so I've set the bar pretty low because it'll just get better from here. No matter how I do, it's going to get better. But what I want to point out when we talk about the economy, it's a system. There's a science to economy. There's, there's a process. If one thing changes, there's a ripple effect that moves throughout the economy. It's the system by which our world works, by which our country runs. That's our economy. It's the way in which we do business one with another, whether that's bartering and trading or whether that's selling on the open market. Some markets are based off of precious metals. Others are based off of money. Some are based off of agriculture. Some are based off of livestock. There are, are some countries where you might do someone better to give them a goat than to give them a $100 bill. To understand an economy, then you have to know what is valuable to those people. It's, it's what holds value. That's how an economy works. It's more than just money. It's basically anything that has worth. And so God has an economy. There are things that have worth to God. There are things, if I can say it this way, that have purchasing power to the Lord. God has an economy. There's a system to the economy that we often don't think about. You know, if, if we're out of money, we say, well, why can't the government just print more? Right? And that used to be what... People who weren't educated on the economy said, well, if, there's, if people are poor, let's just print a bunch of $100 bills and send them in the mail. Uh, unfortunately, we have more and more people setting our monetary policy that have that same idea. Well, let's just print more money. What could go wrong, right? Uh, well, a lot could go wrong because on its own, money doesn't really have any value. It's just right. a piece of paper. It's ascribed worth in a particular economic system. And so this value is based on supply and demand. The reason why money has worth is because there's only so much of it. Right. According to my bank account, there's not enough of it. Right. There's only so much of it. It's because it is a limited resource. And so we're getting our share of a limited resource. It's supply and demand. It's a way to measure worth. There are a limited number of dollars available. And so we trade one limited resource for another. There are a limited number of new cars. And so I'm going to trade my dollars for your new car. Everything is based on supply and demand. How much there is and what it's worth. And so the more prevalent a resource, the less it's worth. Everybody still with right. me? Yeah. I don't get bored now, I promise. We won't stay here forever. But it matters. I'm building, 
I'm building a, a, a launch pad for the rest of this service, but even tonight's service. I won't have to go over it again tonight, okay? If you give me a few minutes, the rest of it will make more sense. I want you to think, you know about supply and demand. The more you have of something, the, the less you are likely to pay a high price for it. If diamonds were laying outside in the parking lot and along the, in the grass and along every sidewalk, people wouldn't pay for diamonds what they pay. Yeah. It's because they're rare and they're hard to get a hold of. That's what gives them their worth. If, if, if gold would fall from the sky like rain, then people wouldn't be nearly as hung up on gold. It's because it's a precious metal that it has worth. There's a limited supply, and so everyone's trying to get their share. And, and that's how dollars work. There's a limited supply, and, and we have the Federal Reserve that tries to, to keep a balance and a lid on how much dollars there are in the system. In 2002, there were less than a trillion dollars of total assets that the Federal Reserve had, less than a trillion dollars. And the, the, by February of last year, we had went from under a trillion dollars in 2002 to the Federal Reserve having over four trillion dollars. And then by the summer, instead of having four trillion dollars in assets, it had now reached over seven trillion dollars. And to make that make sense, basically, the Federal Reserve is printing a whole lot of money. Oh, yeah. Now, it's not necessarily printing it in dollars. It does it uh, digitally these days by buying back bonds, and that's all really complicated. But just in everyday English, they're just printing money and handing it out. And so uh, we've seen literally increasing the circulation by hundreds of percent. So what happens when you have more money. Anybody tried to buy gas? Anybody tried to buy groceries? Anybody tried to buy pretty much anything at all right now? Right. There's a monster called inflation, right? The government goes into overdrive printing money and then sending us money in the mail and says we shut the economy down, you haven't been able to work here, here's more money. Just You didn't have to earn it, you didn't have to do anything, but just go spend it. And they had to do something since people couldn't go to work. So I'm not necessarily criticizing everything, but the deal is there really is no such thing as a free lunch. When you, somebody has to pay. There's right. nothing free. And so what happens when you put a lot of money back into the system, and this, this happened before COVID, it just accelerated with COVID, they changed the calculus of the economy. It's like you're playing a game, and then mid-game they change the rules on you. You can go from winning to losing quick if you change the rules. If you're playing basketball and you've got the high score and suddenly we change the rules to golf, you go from being a winner to being a loser. It's, it's not good to change the rules in the middle of the game. And what happens is they change the rules of your economy. Uh, eventually, there's someone who's going to go from being a winner to being a loser. There's, there's a price that's going to pay. And so uh, a lot of people enjoyed getting their checks in the mail. I did. I, I said, thank God. I'll take it. <laughs> The problem is it changed the rules. They had all this extra money in the system and, and now there's the cost that has to be paid. You, you have more money, you've increased the supply. So that decreases its worth. So some of you who retired and you worked your whole life to retire, about 10 years ago you retired and felt pretty good about yourself. But we keep doubling and tripling and quadrupling the money supply. There's that much more money. So that means your savings is that smaller of a cut. Everything, when there's more money, everything costs more. And so what you spent your life saving is worth less. And so you got poorer. Right. Inflation you're paying right now is basically the highest tax there's ever been on our country. We just don't realize it. They, you don't have to pass a bill to tax people if you're just monkey with the fiscal policy. Right. And now they're paying it in inflation. Oh, yeah. Is everybody encouraged this morning or oh, bad? Yeah. 
Might be a little mad, huh? <laughs> Eventually, there's some good news here. Just stay with me. But I want you to think, you, you can't arbitrarily change a system or it begins to fall down. That's not how, or fall apart. That's not how an economy works. You, uh, we've got such a complicated system now that we just go from highs to lows. We're continually trying to find balance. And, and this happens all the time. We change the rules and we, have, we say, well, we want everybody to have a living wage. Let's raise the minimum wage. That'll make people richer. No, it makes people poorer every time we've done it. Because when you raise minimum wage, people who have jobs say, well, I can't afford to hire you. I'm going to get a machine. And then eventually, when you're paying your workers more, you just raise the prices. Right. The company's still going to make the same money. The people who've been saving, now you've got to pay more for your food when you go to McDonald's. Because that worker's getting $15 an hour. And so McDonald's, they're not going to lose their money. They're just going to raise the prices. They cut jobs and raise prices. Poor people have less jobs. Middle class people pay more. If you saved anything, it's worth less. That's right. Yeah. Amen. That's kind of depressing, isn't it? Some guy's going to get more votes and stay in office longer because he says something that sounds good but doesn't work. Now, again, this is I'm, I'm certainly not an economist. I've taken a few classes. That's my understanding. There may be people who argue with me, but don't lose the point. When you change the rules, when you change the rules, it's going to change the worth. Right. When, you, when you change the rules, there's going to be a price. You can keep trying to drive up the money supply, but it just cuts down on how much it's worth. And so uh, the government can create money. It can. But it's very poor at creating wealth. Yeah. The government <laughs> can create money, but it's very poor at creating wealth. You create money, you just create inflation. Instead of creating wealth, eventually it steals from you. It costs. Right. The way wealth is created is you have to have production. You have to create something new of value or you have to take something that's lost value and restore it. Yep. There either has to be a new creation or a restoration. And that's where wealth comes from. Pretty simple. You've got to produce something. And this is exactly this analogy I'm using with you. Do you realize the Bible used economic terms throughout the scripture? Old Testament and New to describe how God looks at us. We said that wealth is created by creating something new or some kind of productivity, either creation our restoration. In case the enemy has been telling you that you're not of any value. Anybody ever hear that voice? There's really nothing special about you. You haven't done enough for the Lord. Um, you can't get it together. You're kind of messed up. You're not of any value. You, your best intentions turn out bad. You do what you don't want to do and you don't do what you want to do. Even Paul had to wrestle with that, right? right. He, he said, I'm, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And, um, it's, the enemy will try to just wear you out telling you that you don't have any value. But let me tell you, you are worth something to the Lord because you are his creation. And he has stepped in and he has restored us. The things that create value is exactly what God has done for every one of us. Psalms 23, most of you can probably quote it, but we just kind of run through it. Psalms 23 and 3 says, he restores my soul. What I had lost in, in some of the battles of life and some of the battles with sin and some of the, the way I've tarnished myself, the Lord is able to step in and take something that isn't worth a whole lot and he begins the process of restoration. He doesn't throw things away. I'm thankful for that. He, he begins to restore. He sees things in us that we don't see in ourselves. That's why Isaiah said he can give you beauty for ashes. You may say, I've just got nothing to offer the Lord. That doesn't mean he doesn't want you. True. He, he's came to save 
the entire world. There is something in every one of us that God sees as having great value. He restores us. He creates in us. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. God can make you worth more than you've ever been. You may say, I'm worthless. That's not true in the hands of God. God has his own economy. It doesn't matter what other people say. God is able to make something beautiful out of us. And the way God creates is by his word. Okay, we just talk about some big questions here. And and again, maybe tonight we'll cry and weep and shout. Or maybe today, we'll see. But but let me just kind of lay it out today. Because it's going to come together uh, in, in this service and in the next one. God creates and God restores. And the way he does it is by his word. We've got to learn the basics of God's economy. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Everything that's made, he made by his word. He can speak things into existence. His word gives worth. God creates with his word. God restores with his word. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26 says that he's going to sanctify and cleanse her. Speaking of the church, that's us. He's going to cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word. It's by his word that he creates and that he restores. And so faith is the means by which we receive the word of grace. Right. Faith really matters. Oh yes. We, we make the currency, again, to, to stick with the theme of an economy, we make the currency, God's spoken word, have value in our life. We make it valid for us when we have faith enough to believe it. Faith has tremendous value. It matters what you believe. That's right. It matters how you believe. It matters who or what you believe in. Faith is the most powerful thing that you have because Jesus said, according to your faith, let it be done. In God's economy, faith matters. And conversely, there are things you have access to by your faith. And conversely, there are things that You don't have if you lack faith. Jesus came to earth and he had the power to to walk on water. He had the power to calm storms. He had the power to raise the dead. There was nothing that he couldn't do. No one had spoke like him. No one had done the works that he did. And, And yet when he goes back home, he's not able to do anything. Right. Or at least not much. It says in Matthew that he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. unbelief. Yes. God has an economy. If there's anyone that Jesus should have wanted to take care of, it's those of his household, those of his family, those he was close to. He was moved with compassion to do things. Not not just as God, but as a man. His heart was touched. And yet he gets there and he can't do any of the mighty works he would do because they lack faith. Right. And the same is true for us. The disciples came to Jesus one time and they said, why could we not cast this demon out of this boy? And what did Jesus say? Because of your unbelief. He said, if you have faith, nothing will be impossible for you. Faith gives you access to all the riches of God's glorious grace. Faith. God has an economy. Oh, yeah. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, we see the importance of faith. Do you believe Jesus died for the sins of the whole world? Yeah. Absolutely. But is everybody saved? No. No. It's not God's will for any to perish, but that all would come to repentance. 
but yet some never do because they're lacking in this essential commodity. They just don't have faith. Hebrews 4 and 2 says, the word which they heard did not profit them. The word of creation, the word of restoration did nothing for them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. And so God has an economy. Have I said it enough times yet? And faith is a very precious commodity. First Peter 1 and 7 says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that it may be found to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Faith is more precious than gold. People will labor and labor and labor and wear themselves out to have a little bit of material wealth, but they don't do any of the things that build their faith. They don't pray. There are some things that you receive through prayer and fasting. They, they don't dedicate themselves to God and see how God responds because that'll build your faith. Some testimonies build your faith. The word builds your faith. The preached word builds your faith. The church getting together with God's people will build your faith. And some people, they don't see the value of it. And so they don't receive from God. Because they don't see the value in what's available. They lack faith. Faith is a precious commodity. You know, the things of God don't lose their value. Gold and silver here will perish. The things of God don't lose their value. They go through the fire and when they come out, they're pure. The things of God don't, don't lose their value. They stand the test of time. Um, they don't lose their worth. God's economy is different than ours. God's economy is stable. God's economy has set rules. You don't have to worry about inflation. Right. You don't have to worry about moths coming and consuming your material goods. That's not how it is with the things of God. You don't have to worry about rust making it corruptible. The things of God are incorruptible. It's a very stable economy. It has hard, fast rules. Yes. So hard and fast that God binds himself by them. Yes. You know, I can't find in scripture where God makes exceptions. I wish he did. I wish he made exceptions for me. I wish I was his favorite, but he's not partial. I wish God made exceptions for my loved ones. I, I've got some loved ones who are living like there isn't even a God. That's true. I sure wish God would make an exception for them. I, I wish somehow they could live like the devil and inherit heaven for it. I, I wish that we could do that. I wish I could pray it into being. I wish I could make it happen. I, I, wish, I, I wish that... I know there's got to be rewards and punishments, but for me and mine, couldn't there just be a little exception? You know, the reason we want that is because we're ignorant of how God's economy right. works. Yeah. God created a, a perfect world and we have perfect communion with him. He makes life worth living and he knew that sin would separate. He knew that sin would decay. He knew that sin degrades and corrupts his, his creation. And so he incentivized faith and obedience. And he said, when you sin, you'll die. The wage of sin is death. That's an economic term. There's a price. There's a wage. There's an economy to this. There's a cost. Matthew 16 and 26 says, again, Jesus uses this analogy. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul? We understand exchanges. So he says, what are you going to give in exchange for your soul? What's the worth of a soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? There's 
There's an economy, there's a price, there's a cost. If you sin, you die. You're trading your soul. Galatians chapter 6 says, if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. And if you sow to the spirit, you will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Again, this was an agricultural society. That was their economy. They understood you, you could buy and sell based on your goods, on your crops. And so we've got this analogy. You're investing in something. What's your return going to be? Is it going to cost you your soul? Did you make a wise investment? If God loves everybody, why doesn't he save everybody? Well, there is a cost to sin. There's a return to sin. There's a return to righteousness. There's a profit to righteousness. If God saved everybody before they were convicted of ungodly living, they would keep living ungodly. That's right. If God saved everybody while they were in rebellion, they would remain in rebellion. Sin would remain. They would love their sinful ways and they, they would have no desire to change. They couldn't become a new creation and you can't be restored if you're not willing to leave the old. It's true. If God flooded the heaven with every sinner without them being regenerated and transformed, without them coming to God and asking to be made over and made new. If heaven's full of sinners, it's no longer heaven. At the restoration of all things, we talk about the streets of gold and all this, but don't miss it. Revelation 21 and 27, he said, there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those that are written in the Lamb's book of life. He said, this thing is going to have everlasting worth. I can't let anything come in that can defile it. And so it's got to be very exclusive. God can't just flood heaven with sinners because he understands his economy. He knows what has value to him. He knows how sin robs things of its value. What did Jesus say when he talked about the sheepfold? He said he was the way. There's a way to get in. It's open. There's a way. He, he let us know he's the way. And he says, if, if anyone wants to come in some other way, what are they? They're a thief and a robber. Now, how do you rob me if you get into heaven some other way? He went on to say the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The message that every road leads to heaven, it's false. It robs you of truth. It's leaven. It it. Puffs up unrighteous people instead of them humbling themselves and coming to God. They're puffed up and they believe that they're fine. It's, it's leaven. It's, we're inflating the kingdom of God. Right. And when you have inflation, you devalue the worth of the kingdom. He's preparing a place for a church. Right. That's a precious church. Yeah. He's preparing a place for a church that's a restored church, a clean church, amen? Yeah. An adorned church, a beautiful, beautiful place for a, a beautiful church. He wants heaven to be a precious place. What did the Lord say in Psalms 116 and 15? He says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. Jesus is what makes it heaven to me, but, but you're what brings worth to God in heaven. What's precious to him are saints. What's precious to God are sinners who've been made clean and been saved and been restored. That's where real worth comes for God. And Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us about the people of faith. And it says that some of them go through trials of mocking and some of them through scourging and some of them through chains and imprisonment. And some were stoned and some were sawn in two and some were tempted 
Maybe you've never been cut in two, but I bet you've been tempted. Right. Some were slain with the sword, and he goes on and on, afflicted, destitute, tormented, and wanderers, and, and he says, of whom the world was not worthy. He's saying it had too much worth for this earth. People of faith, people who come to God, people who believe and commit themselves to God, people who allow God to put his hands on them and begin to shape them. He's going to make something too precious for this world. And the saints are going to be the ones that enrich God in heaven. They're worth something to him. That's why... You can't be saved and continue in sin. True. That's why you can't be saved and have never experienced salvation. Well, all in all, if you get the checklist, if you get the ledger, I'm a pretty good person. You know, the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it goes beyond that. Isaiah said all of our all of us are unrighteous. We're unclean things. Our righteousness is as Filthy rags. And if we try to get people in heaven because they're pretty nice and they love their kids, they didn't steal chickens. And we love them and we care for them and we know they never really served God and they never committed their ways to God. They've never been born again of water and spirit. They haven't entrusted God with their life. Some haven't even spoken the name of Jesus. And it gets to the end and we just don't like to think that Jesus isn't saving everyone. True. A lot of preachers lie at a lot of funerals. Yes, they do. We say we don't believe you're saved by works, but then, boy, the second someone we love dies, we go on and on about how good they were and how we're going to see them in heaven, don't we? Your good works, uh, trying to get to heaven on your good works is like trying to purchase a home here in Monopoly money. There's an eternal home, but what you got to offer is filthiness. It, it doesn't, it, it's not valid there. It doesn't fit into God's economy like you think it does. True. Romans 4, 3-4 says, What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace. If you don't understand the need for faith and grace, and then, then you're, not, you're not dealing in the right monetary system. I need something that can be accounted towards me, that can be accredited towards me. I I need something that has value. What what I need when my works fall short and they do, I need the grace of God. I need grace. We are saved by His grace. (laughs) We're truly His workmanship. That's the work that counts. What you need is only found in Jesus Christ. So Hebrews chapter 4 says God who is, or chapter 2 verse 4 says God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God has an economy and he bound himself to the laws of his economy. He, he didn't just take. He didn't come take from the devil. He didn't come steal from the devil. He didn't kick the door of salvation open. He purchased us. He purchased our salvation. He redeemed us. He, he's, there's no inflation in heaven. Right. He's not just making new souls to be there. That's not how it works. There's a system. It's organized. There's rules. 
First Peter 2 and 24 says that he himself bore our sins in his own body. It goes on to say by his stripes we are healed. This is speaking of our salvation. There was a price he paid. It's speaking of our physical healing even. Do you know when Jesus was here to show you how he bound himself to this? Matthew chapter 8 uh, quotes from Isaiah when it talks about the suffering servant. And it says that it was, speaks of Jesus' death. And, and when Jesus is doing miracles, it quotes this that about us being healed by his stripes, that he heals our diseases and he took our infirmities on himself. Speaking of what happened at the cross. Now, this is before Jesus died. It's like he purchased on credit. There's an economy. He explains how this was done. It's not just because he's God and he can break the rules and make it happen. But there was a price that was going to be paid. And so Jesus is doing miracles on credit of what's to come. Right. By his stripes that are going to be laid on him. By the precious blood that he's going to shed. By the life he's going to lay down. And so the crowd doesn't understand the economy of God. So they can celebrate whenever the, the blind eyes are open. But Jesus knows there's coming a day when he's going to close his eyes in death. There's coming a day when darkness is going to hide the sun. So right now you may be seeing the light, but it's going to cost him something. And people are shouting and celebrating when the lame man, when the withered arm is able to Stand his arm, but Jesus is going to have to pay by having his arms nailed to a cross. And the lame are leaping for joy, but for that to happen, Jesus is going to have to be raised up on a cross. There was a price to be paid for everything that he did. There's an economy, there's an exchange. So thank God the dumb can talk, but Jesus would have to come forth as a lamb led before the slaughter. He would not open his mouth when they laid accusations against him. And it's that way with salvation. Right. There was a cost. There was a curse of sin that was on every one of us. And I've been set free from the curse. I've been set free from the curse of the law. But that same law says cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So the only way that I could be set free of the curse was for him to pay the price. Christ redeemed us from the curse is what Paul wrote in Galatians. There's a transaction. There's a payment that's made. There's an economy that's got to be balanced. And so we believe salvation is a free gift. What we mean by that is that it's free to me and it's free to you. But it came at a very high cost. It's a gift because we don't have to pay for it. But don't forget that he did pay for it. 1 Peter 1 and 18 says we were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Acts chapter 20 verse 28 says God purchased the church with his own blood for us to live. He had to die. There was a wage that had to be paid. He bound himself to the rules of his economy. Will God save you? See, the second thing I said, I wanted to, we've, we've touched just a little bit why God hasn't saved everybody. Will God save you? And why, why would he? Yeah. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Which a man found and hid for joy over it. He goes and sells all that he has to transaction. This is economic. Yeah. He sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and he bought it. And we think of this from one side of us selling out for the Lord. But have you considered what he did to purchase us? (coughs) 
He sold all for us. Oh, yeah. We asked the question, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I can tell you what God would give for your soul. He gave everything. He gave his life. And so if you've made mistakes, anybody messed up this week? Yeah. Frustrated with yourself, wanting to do more, and you know how that guilt can get on you and God is rich, not in, not in things. He owns everything, but he's not rich in that because that doesn't have value to him. You know how God's rich? Were you listening when we read it? God is rich in mercy. What has value to God is you. What has value to God is me. The only thing God ever invested in is us. The only thing God ever paid for is us. And he's not going to pay high and sell low. He's not going to pay that price for you and then just let you go. I've got a $20 bill here. It's not mine. I had to borrow it. Brother Roberts wants it. But Brother Roberts, what if I bought it up? Do you still want it? What if I throw it away? What if I step on it? Do you still want it? I mean, I'm stepping on it. It's dirty now. You you want a dirty dollar? Yeah. <laughs> what gives it value? It's not how much it's been bit out of shape. It's not how much it's been pressed down. It's not how dirty it is. The value is in the dollar, not in its condition. And when the Lord sees me and he sees you, he sees something that's precious. And I can't understand it because I see my condition and you see your condition. But he sees something that has value to him enough that he said, I'll give it all for them to be saved. I'll give it all for them to be mine. He's willing to leave it all for just one. Stand with me in Revelations chapter 5. We see the throne singing in heaven. And they say, worthy is the lamb that redeemed us. The context here is redemption. It's the price that he paid. And what is he worthy of? It says he's worthy to receive several things you would expect. But one of them, it says, is to receive riches. This is in heaven. He's not talking about your dollar bills. What are the riches that he receives? Well, he's paid a price. He's redeemed us. And then he gets a return on his investment. And you may think it's not worth it, but he does. I'm his return. You're his return. In God's economy, there is nothing that's worth more than you and I. True. Isn't that amazing? He's not, he's, he's not going to just let you go. He's not like an irresponsible kid who loses me. He's not like me who loses things. Sister Roberts gives me a check and says, give it to your wife. <laughs> God's not like that. He, he knows the value. He sees you where you're at. Are you listening to this one? I'm about to close. He knows what you face. He knows what you've done. He knows what tomorrow holds. He knows when you're hurt. He sees you when you cry. He sees everything you're going through. He knows when you feel like you're about to lose your faith. You are precious to God. Amen. Amen. He's doing everything to, to save us, to keep us. We're worth something to him. He's invested in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Could we close our eyes and lift our hands? I told you I didn't know how I was going to close today because this isn't really the close. But I'm reminded of the psalm that says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I want you just to lift up your voice and your hands and thank the Lord for the price that he paid for you. I tell you, I don't care what the devil says. I've got something to say. I am redeemed by the blood of the lamb. I am forgiven. I've been washed clean. 
I've been restored. I may not be the greatest preacher. I may not be the greatest Christian. I may not be some spiritual giant. But there was something the Lord saw in me that was beautiful to him. There, there was something. He saw value in me. And he said, I'm going to pay for that. I'm going to purchase that. I'm going to save that. I'm going to keep that for myself. That's what I want. Hallelujah. He sees us through different eyes than we see ourselves. He sees you through different eyes than the world sees you. He sees you through different eyes than even your family and friends see you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I am redeemed. I'm the child of God. I'm forgiven. I'm going to shine forth as the sun. I may not sparkle today, but you just wait when he gets done restoring me. You, you just wait till he gets finished with me. God is building worth in my life. I'm his workmanship. Hallelujah. And it's because I believe in his word. I can receive his grace. I'm trusting in it. What I'm preaching to you today, you've got to believe. You've got to believe God saved you for a purpose. God is doing something for you. Doesn't matter what you've done. God's rewriting your future. God's got better things in store for me. Amen. Hallelujah. He made a way for every one of us. And he paid full price. He didn't get you at a discount. You weren't a blue light special. He paid full price for you. And he doesn't have buyer's remorse. The Bible says at the cross, he looked ahead for the joy that was set before him. He saw you today in the house of God. After all you've been through, singing about joy unspeakable and full of glory. Singing about he deserves the glory and the honor. Thinking about the grace of God. And when he saw that, he said, I would go to any length to save that soul. That's how much you mean to the Lord. Can we pray together one more time right now? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to understand it. I pray for these precious people, Lord, that they would see how much they're worth to you. When we ask of you, we don't ask because we think we deserve anything special, but because you, you have chosen us, because we're special to you, because we're your children, because you have compassion on us. We ask for healing. We ask for deliverance. We ask for salvation. You said we have not because we ask not. That you give liberally, Lord. And so we ask today that you would meet the needs of your people. In Jesus' name, we ask in faith believing. Hallelujah. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your salvation. You have worth. Hallelujah. You have worth. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. God bless you. Come back.